0: greet you this morning in the name of Christ, our Lord, who is the head of the church, and thank the Lord for your president and your dean of chapel. And I thank the Lord for my dear sister in the Lord, who is your vice president of formation who I love dearly, and we are just honored and happy to be here. Seminary life is good life. Um, I say that having been a student, I say that having been a professor, I say that having really enjoyed part of my life and part of the life of my children being shaped in the context of the seminary. up as a my kids were raised with a professor dad but they felt wealthy they thought they had a whole rec center they thought they had a whole swimming pool <laughs> they thought they had acres and acres and acres and acres so what a wonderful environment in which to prepare to further and continue your service of our Lord Jesus Christ I want to get right to the fourth chapter of Ephesians because in, um, in a historic black church setting, 25 minutes is like the sermon introduction, so, <laughs> But in the broader context of the 1 Corinthians 12, broader body, you just have to adopt, adapt to the, to the climate. And so I'm gonna give you some finger food instead of a meal. Um, I'm happy that you've been discussing and chapel has had a focus on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and seeing his fruit among us and so I just want to talk about an evidence of the spirit that is lacking in much of um, American Christianity whether it is fruitful, authentic Christianity of Christ in America, or whether it is Americanized Christianity, is lacking this evidence. And that evidence is the hard, sweaty, aggressive pursuit of unity among followers of Jesus Christ, of every kindred tribe and tongue and nation, worship style and socioeconomic status and denominational status. I mean, I think you should be able to say why you are Methodist and not a Presbyterian and not a Pentecostal and not a Baptist, but also I think we ought to be able to have a broader understanding of the body of Christ and thank the Lord for our Bible-believing Protestant traditions, our Bible-believing Orthodox traditions. And so um, this evidence hurts us, the lack of this evidence. Um, Jesus prays in John 17 and says that the world will know that the Father has truly sent the Son as the world sees the unity of believers. I mean, it's fascinating or opponents of the early Christians who would burn them or put them into the arena for persecution. It's, it's stunning to read their opponents reflecting on their unity and their integrity, and the educated and the uneducated are in there, and the wealthy and the poor are in there, and male and female are in there, and those who are of the empire are in there, and like foreigners are in there. And the only thing that unites them is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so after the rich doctrine of the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul turns to uh, the applicational section of this letter, which was not unusual for his approach to a letter the doctrinal foundations upon which we stand, and then the applications, which obviously, I mean, which often shifted with the word therefore, at least in the the translations I grew up with, therefore, and then he would go into some application. Um, We do pretty well, I think, on sound doctrine or pursuing sound doctrine. Uh, Many of you would know that uh, just recently, Methodism has made some... clear stands and positions about biblical authority and biblical understanding of sexuality and things like that. We do, Jude, we do Jude three. Many of us do Jude three. Earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. I mean, we, we, we do it. We put energy in it. I, I, I'm a Southern Baptist. We have a whole history in the 70s and the 80s of putting effort into turning back to biblical authority hard effort, sweaty effort, gritty effort. We we, we do that. Uh, The Bible says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, We we do personal holiness, especially people in the Wesleyan holiness, Pentecostal tradition. Uh, I went to the Church of God Theological Seminary, which is in the Wesleyan holiness, Pentecostal tradition. So uh, I love this environment in this place. I tease my Baptist friends. I say, yeah, I did my MDiv at a Pentecostal seminary, so I have better pneumatology than all of y'all. So, and, uh, and we do that. But the effort we put into doctrinal fidelity and the effort we put into personal holiness and mortifying the deeds of the flesh by and large, Christians do not put that same type of effort into the pursuit of Christian unity. And Paul says, make every effort. And so, whatever sweat and grit doctrine is worth, and it is, whatever sweat and grit personal holiness is worth, and it is, Christian unity is worth sweat and grit. Many times we have not put in the effort since the uh, colonial days. Christians have shunned putting in the effort to pursue Christian unity over against the prevailing sinful divisions that were characteristic of our society. If you think about those divisions in Galatians 3.28, gender or Social standing or ethnicity, if you think about those kind of things, you say, well, those things have characterized the world and how we have uh, dealt with one another. Sadly, unfortunately, many times those same type of sinful divisions have characterized those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I am humble when I'm around Methodists, because y'all almost got something right in the 1790s. <laughs> uh, the Baptist Convention in Maryland, Delaware is in Columbia, Maryland, which is not too far from Baltimore. And in the 1790s, you know, Methodists would actually, I mean, Methodists would meet in Baltimore and places like that, and they would actually say, like, slavery is wrong. It's sinful, it's dehumanizing. It's against scripture, it's against the image of God. And there was like a decent kind of going into the 17, 1790s kind of push. But you know, political power is influential, political economic influence is strong, and then of course, cultural and educational influence is strong. And so, obviously, the 19th century became what the 19th century became. But y'all, 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 y'all were close, and you were close before everybody else. Then in the 1840s and 1850s, Baptists, Presbyterians, and Methodists kind of split split north and south sectionally over the issue of slavery. But then we're going to get it right. Because at the turn of the century, with the Pentecostal movement in Azusa Street, that thing was about the Holy Spirit. It's not about our distinctions. And it even starts out with all kinds of people from all kinds of places. The movement of the Holy Spirit. And then white brothers begin to be mocked because they submitted to this black man with one eye. William J. Seymour for ordination. And again, economic pressure and political pressure and cultural pressure and educational pressure. And then you have the assemblies of God. The reason there's not one Pentecostal movement, but there's the assemblies of God, then the church of God, then the church of God in Christ, and the church of the Foursquare. That one movement of the spirit, Pentecostal movement, was one until that little thing of racism raised its head. And so from the beginning, the Christian church in the United States just has never put in the effort that we have put into other things like personal holiness and sound doctrine. Paul says, make every effort. Now, one thing that was really encouraging about the recent occurrence with the Methodist church is that it was so global. And it was so different kinds of people, different languages, different nationalities, different ethnicities. That that, that was, like, extremely encouraging. And sometimes voices that you don't necessarily hear were, like, speaking up saying, hey, we're united as followers of Jesus Christ. We're united in believing in the authority of the scripture. Hey, you Canadians and Americans and Europeans, open up the Bible and read it. And it was encouraging to hear people from other places of the world say that as equal brothers and sisters standing upon the word of God and the authority of Christ. Christ. and so to people who believe sound doctrine to people who believe you should be holy you can't say method this without thinking holiness paul says to people like that make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and it is an evidence of the spirit and so since our origins, the lack of unity among Christ's followers in the, on the American continent has been an evidence of the lack of the spirits moving among us. If Christian unity is an evidence of the spirit, is the unity of the spirit, it's not just like kumbaya, it's not just I like you, it's not homogeneous unit principle, and it's not like the nicer version of that affinity group. It is the unity of the spirit, a work that only God can do, a work that amazes people, like on the day of Pentecost when they say, oh, my goodness, how are we from all these places, all these cultures, all these languages, and we are hearing them declare the works of God in our own language, and there's no worship war going on. It's an evidence of the spirit. So I went to a classical Pentecostal seminary. Y'all in seminary, right? So y'all know Pentecostals and Charismatics aren't the same thing, right? Classic Pentecostal seminary out of the D'Souza Street revival, they have confessions. They have a statement of faith. It's not just experiential blah, blah, blah. It actually has something that it stands on. And the distinctive evidences are the doctrine of subsequence, the work of the Holy Spirit after regeneration, and then the doctrine of initial evidence, which is evidenced by the speaking of tongues, which is why Pentecostals are Pentecostal, and why those of us who aren't Pentecostal aren't Pentecostal. But this evidence right here is necessary for the whole body. I beseech you I beg you as a prisoner of the Lord. I mean, it's not, people don't beg you about minor things. I beg you as a prisoner of the Lord this is important. This is weighty. This will undercut our witness. This will quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit among us if we do not pursue this. And, and who, who wants to do church? Who wants to do ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit? Who wants to grieve and quench the, the, the power of the Spirit so that we look good and we sound good, but we have no power? If anybody wants power, y'all want power. I ride a motorcycle. I've been in all of the lower 48 except Washington and Oregon and North Dakota because what's there? Uh, (laughs) And I see beautiful Methodist buildings. United Methodist Church and the PCUSA, y'all kind of like neck and neck in like the architecture anointing. (laughs) They built some wonderful buildings that sometimes now sit empty in dense areas because there is no People aren't changed by architecture. People aren't changed by denominational structure. People are changed by the same basic layout in John chapter 3. If anyone's going to see the kingdom of God, they must be born of the... Oh, yeah, y'all can talk back. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's obvious that we have grieved the spirit and pursued our work in such a way that we have caused God to withdraw his operative powers from us. We have sound doctrine. We have a belief that we ought to pursue personal holiness, but we lack power because the Spirit is not pleased to sit upon a church that is not earnestly endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And if you are burdened and moved by Jesus' prayer in John 17, then you understand that the lack of pursuing unity even undercuts our missiological thrust that we say we want. The whole word for the whole world is undercut if those who proclaim that word do not live their lives in such a way where it is evident that the Son has been sent by the Father because we see the fruit of his work among us. If the Christian approach to gender and the Christian approach to economics and the Christian approach to ethnicity is no different than the world, then what is the gospel for? What is the Lordship of Christ doing in our lives? Christians have many ways they choose to engage the political structure in a fallen world. But out of all those different ways, if the follower of Christ who participates with the donkey or the follower of Christ who participates with the elephant is not different from the unbeliever in those various parties, then where is the lordship of Christ and where is the let your light so shine and where is the salt in the light of the earth? Why talk about the Holy Spirit if there is no evidence? And I like all kinds of gathered worship. Uh, Holy Week, that's kind of when I do my most expansive uh, explorations. That whole week, I'm kind of goofy. That whole week, I talk in my... uh, Doc Holiday voice from Tombstone. What are you doing this week? We're we're exploring the mysteries of the church in Rome. What are you doing this week? I go to an Anglican, we're exploring the mysteries of the Queen's Church. That's my, my exploration, visiting time. We have all these proclamations, we have all these declarations of who we are, but we're lacking. So what does that person look like who is in this pursuit? I beg you, please receive this with humility, with gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another. So many of us are not as narcissistic as the broader society, but we're too narcissistic to do this. Many of us won't say like Invictus, I am the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul, but we'll think it. I mean, I at least admire narcissists in the world because they just out there, yeah, the world's about me. Scarface was honest, my world. He says the person who is pursuing this is characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and putting up with one another. I mean, if social media teaches anything, it teaches you that Christians don't put up with one another. We give each other a very short rope. We'll put up with politicians. We'll put up with other people in society. We'll put up with entertainers. They can do all kinds of things. They can be engaged in domestic violence, but, you know, we'll forgive them. I mean, my favorite running back or basketball player, they can be involved in domestic violence, but we'll give them a long rope. When it comes to a brother or sister in Christ, we give them a short rope. Before I'm going to call you a heretic or call you unfaithful to the gospel or say you left the gospel or worse, say, oh, yeah, You're dangling and you're dibbling in cultural Marxism. That's like the voodoo word nowadays. (laughs) Paul says that these people are characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and putting up with one another. So here's an application question. How well do you put up with believers who are different than you? How well do you put up with believers that are immature? How well do you put up believers that have different backgrounds than you have? How well do you put up with folk that do things to cause you to have to put up with them? I mean, one reason you know that the homogeneous unit principle in affinity groups is kind of fleshly in it's leaning is because it doesn't force you to put up with anybody because everybody looks like you, acts like you, thinks like you, which I find to be tremendously boring, but lots of folk like that. We plant churches in the 32 largest cities in America and other places and I always meet these church planters. they like, yeah, I just want to kind of be me and to see how the Lord is leading me. I'm like, yeah, you really are you. All y'all wear dirty jeans, you don't shave, you wear big frames and you don't comb your hair. You real unique. (laughs) You such an authentic you, all 80 of (laughs) y'all. How much do we have the spiritual discipline and the spiritual strength to put up and bear with one another. You know, one of my favorite passages is in John 14, and the disciples are questioning Jesus, and Jesus, oh, show us the Father, have I been so long with y'all that you don't know me yet? I mean, when I was a Sunday school teacher, that was my favorite pastor's career. And like, every year, if I was irritated with anybody in my Sunday school class, I would just read that. Okay, if the master teacher got irritated with his students, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Gentleness. Humility. Patience. Stop writing people off so fast. Secondly, he says have to push on in the finger food fashion. Secondly, he says, make every effort. I mean, do we even have a plan for being unified in the body? At some point, I realized I know a lot of Christians. Black, white, Spanish-speaking from all kind of countries. At some point a decade ago, I realized, like, I know a lot of parts of the body, but I don't know a lot of Asian brothers and sisters. (laughs) And this passage is so good. It says, make every effort to keep unity, because you have to, like, reach out and develop relationships, because some backgrounds and cultures a lot of our asian brothers they're just not as pushy and big mouth as like black folk white folk and latinos <laughs> they have a little more reserve. <laughs> this lady joined our church and i remember uh you're like, hey, goodbye. I remember, you know, historic black baptist church louisville kentucky hey how you doing Da-da-da-da-da. And know uh, one of my deacons is like He's like, yeah, pastor, we're getting a lot of different kind of members. And, you know, I know you, he's like, you just good old southern church folk. He's like, every culture is not like a hugging type culture. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like, yeah. And that Korean lady was like, ah. I mean, a year later, she was running up to me, hugging me. But you have to understand, like, as as we make effort to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit, we have to put work into learning one another, knowing one another, understanding one another. I probably spent over a decade, and I need to change. I probably spent over a decade wearing these Johnson and Murphys, because... A Korean lady gave me these shoes and wrote on the box, blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel. But we have to make effort, and some of us are not making effort. Let me say real quickly, because we live in a kumbaya world, if you look at verses 4 through 6, and we don't have time to look at verses 4 through 6, There are some descriptive boundaries around the unity. It's not just I like you, are you like me? There there, there are some things. This this unity won't work with inclusivism, because there's not many lords, there's one lord. This unity won't work with a denial of the trinity, because there's one spirit. This unity won't work with anything, but this unity will work with those who have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ and trust upon his cross for salvation and have come to him in faith. This unity will work for those people. And guess what? Those types of people are everywhere. And you know, order to stand together and walk together and live together as brothers and sisters. I call it an evidence because the Bible says it is the unity of the spirit and it is through the bond of peace. So here's your assignment. The pursuit of Christian unity does not begin at the denominational level. I mean, I'm happy when Southern Baptists and National Baptists do stuff together. It'd be wonderful if United Methodists and AME and AME Zion and CME, if black and white Methodist denominations, they do stuff together, that's great. But Christian unity doesn't start at the denominational level. Christian unity doesn't start at the congregational level. I mean, I'm happy when congregations do a demographic study and see who's around their church and wanna make sure that our church is open to anybody and not really doing anything artificial to reach certain people, just making sure we aren't doing anything uh, unintentionally to avoid certain people. But this thing right here, Christian unity, making every effort to keep the bond of peace through the unity of the spirit, it starts at the level of brothers and sisters. I mean, when is the last time you did a body survey? What parts of the body do I know? What parts of the body do I not know? I was talking to a pastor who's taking a sabbatical. One of our pastors, that he'll be off in the summer a little bit. I said, hey, man, why are you off in the summer? Let me know on Sunday you're free. Let's go to a Greek Orthodox church. Let's explore some stuff. Let's sit by the incense and inhale. What parts of the body do you know beyond your part of the body? I mean, if I call myself Methodist, I mean, how can I be a Methodist and I am a seminarian and I'm preparing for ministry and I've never been in an African Methodist Episcopal church or I've never been in a CME church or I've never been in an AME Zion church or I've never been in a free Methodist church? How can I be a Methodist and I only know a slice of Methodist? Even if it's the fattest slice, it's still just a slice. Make some efforts. And then nothing's more personal in the scripture. And in much of Eastern culture today, and, and matter of fact, every, every part of the culture except kind of Western autonomous individualism, nothing's more intimate and personal than the dinner table. So really the first applicational test is who do I eat with? 360 days out of a year. Man, we live in a high-rise, and there's a Whole Foods near our high-rise, and I realize, sadly, that a lot of people ain't eating with nobody. (laughs) They go to that Whole Foods buffet, they get back on the elevator, they go up to their apartment, and I usually cut my eyes at my wife like, hmm, that sure is sad. Ooh, I thank the Lord. I ain't married no Burger King cook. Yes. <laughs> My wife has a gift of hospitality and we've always enjoyed hosting people in our home. Who's been in your home? Whose home have you been in? And I need to wind up, but when you go in, do you go in as a brother or sister or do you go in as a colonizer? preaching in Gainesville, and an Indian family wanted to host us. And my kids and my wife, they, they're a little more picky than I am. I ride motorcycles, so, you know, I eat the best stuff, I eat the worst stuff. Chili dogs out of a gas station, yeah, I eat bad stuff. <laughs> and this Indian couple, they said, uh, we want to have you over. Thank you for coming to preach at our church. And they said, what would you like us to fix? And my wife and my kids, I could see all their bodies move to say something. And in a point of missiological instruction for them, in a point of Christian unity instruction for them, I said, like, oh, we're coming to your house. We want to learn about y'all. We want to eat whatever y'all eat. I have a daddy's girl. Sister Donna's her godmother. Of course, my daughter gave me that look like (laughs) my daddy's the pastor. I'm used to the church folks serving me. I'm used to having what I want. You mean we're gonna eat what they eat? Yeah. Make every effort. So come to the table as a brother or sister, not as a I bet that's from Black Panther, not as a colonizer. Hey, colonizer, don't come as a colonizer. Come as a brother or sister. So here's this. is. Let's make an effort to these things. Let's, let's make a commitment to these efforts. I'm going to pursue sound doctrine, earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. I'm going to pursue personal holiness, press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But I'm going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity and effort are related. Remember Paul said, as much as it lies within you, but that's what a lot of us are lacking. We're lacking that lies within you. It would have cost those Methodists something in the 1790s. It would have cost Methodists, Presbyterians, and Baptists something in the 1840s. It would have cost Pentecostal something in the 1910s. So I ask you today, my Methodist brothers and sisters, y'all are organizationally in some of your denominations at some turning points, but more than denominationally, just as the body of people who say we are the sons and daughters of Wesley. And I like to spice that up a little just to mess with white folk. I say y'all are the sons of Charles and John Wesley and Francis Asbury. Y'all are also the sons of Richard Allen and Harriet Tubman. I like to mess with folk. all good Methodists, what will you do to pursue these things? Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for this assembly of brothers and sisters who love you and are preparing to serve you in different ways. Please give them the ability to not be spiritually lazy. Make every effort requires work, Lord. Give us a striving about our discipleship that you might be honored. Before you do it at our denominations and in our congregations, Lord, please do it in our homes, let our children eat meals with people from different parts of the body so that they know that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is broad. We have many members, but there's one body. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.